Welcome to the Bible Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist of music. I'm Ed Kale, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California, and chaplain to the Mexican National Soccer Team. And I'm uh, Zach Pierce. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus of Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder in America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition. Chaplain, of course, uh, to the Tibetan national team, which sadly this year did not qualify for the World Cup. Maybe one day their nationhood will be recognized uh, and all of Boulder will rejoice. How, do you have free Tibet feelings, Matt? Uh, no. Me either, really. Inspires concerts. It does. <laughs> It gets their bumper stickers everywhere in Boulder because we have a connection to Tibetan Buddhism. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, and we have a number of Nepalese restaurants. If Nepal had made it, maybe I would be pulling for Nepal. But instead, Matt, my World Cup fandom, which now, can you believe the results of these first few weeks of games? Incredible, Matt. It was stunning. <laughs> stunning. Stunning. In Russia, no less. That was, it looked so Russian. In the background. Wasn't it amazing when Putin took the field for Russia? It was just, it was, I did not expect that to happen, but. I thought it was a possibility. Like, I thought it was like Jay-Z coming on with Beyonce. I knew it could happen, but I was yeah. surprised when he came onto the field shirtless astride a horse. That was an interesting right? twist. Yeah. It was really surprising. Like Kelly Rowland, I get it. But Michelle? All right. We're going all the way. Did you adopt a team? Did I adopt a team? That's a good question. I, um, I mean, so... I think I will uh, as the results. <laughs> You're going to wait and see how they go? <laughs> I'm going to wait till the end of uh, the tournament, and then I'll tell you whether I've dodged a team or not. Uh, my short list, uh, listeners, you can help me if you have time machines to go back in time and tell me who I should root for. Uh, Iceland is on my list, of course. Iceland with a magical run last summer through the European Championships. I, I, th- I would like to see Belgium win because I'd like to watch Belgium play. Uh, and that would be a fun kind of underdog story of a team that actually could win that's really good. I will also be pulling uh, probably pretty strongly for Costa Rica uh, if I have to pull for a CONCACAF team. I cannot overcome my disdain. I love, I want to be very clear, Matt, I love Mexico, the country. I love Mexico, the people. I love Mexico, the food. I cannot love Mexico, the football team. So Costa Rica and Iceland, there's no way we'll win. Mexico's in a hard group, though. Can we, man, it, it, like it was, it's a really tough group that Mexico's in. Who are, who's in their group? They're in a group oh, of Germany, S- I think, right? Germany, Sweden, yeah. South Korea, I believe, which is not impossible for them to come out of it, but no gimmies there. No, uh, you don't get Saudi Arabia or Russia. Rafa Marquez, though, bringing his youthful. <laughs> Isn't youthful he spirit. under investigation for like being involved with cartels or something? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> I believe that's true. Like, I don't think of... Yeah, I hate Rafa Marquez. Rafa Marquez is the last Mexican player I've hated, uh, which is good. It's good. I don't hate... I'm starting to hate Chicharito, but when Chicharito kind of, like, didn't explode the way, like, at Manchester United, you thought he might. Now I don't, like, hate him, but I, I really despise Chicharito. Does uh, Ochoa... Is Ochoa Meme, Meme Ochoa? Guillermo uh, Ochoa still the goalkeeper? Because I hate him, too. You hate him too? Oh my gosh. Man, I don't even look it up. How are their uh how are their kits this time? I feel like he's gotta be. That's really the question. What do their kits look like? Not as good as the first time out. Uh, because welcome, this is uh, another episode of uh, Sports Fashion World Cup edition. <laughs> Nigeria clearly has the best kits of anyone in the World Cup. Why are they good? 
Oh, they're just like flaming green, like neon green and white. Uh, they are a piece of art. Super impressive. It seems like it should be easier to find out who's on the team. You like, would think so. A- According to Wikipedia, he was named in the preliminary 28-person squad, but he's playing in Belgium these days. How does he... He hasn't even played that much. When he was at, uh, in Spain, he played like over 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Three or four years, he only played like 40 matches. He played a ton in America. Really? Yeah. Uh, he played a bit for this team in France in the second league too. Wow. Your neighbors on the team. Everybody cares about this a lot. Uh, <laughs> Carlos Avela, of course, made the team from LAFC. <clears throat> yes. He is in the squad. Memo. Good stuff. All right. That was a good episode. Yeah, that was a good up. Of uh, World Cup Bateman. Matt, are you, uh, are you making a, a mural this time around? A mural? Have I done a mural? I did a mural in 2010, Matt. It was one of the greatest summers of my life. I just graduated from seminary. Uh, we were in the process with the congregation in Bakersfield, but there was nothing for me to do. Uh, it didn't really make sense for me to get a job. Hannah was working full-time. And so I watched the World Cup for a month uh, in Chicago. And surprisingly, you can't spend all day, every day during the summer, just watching the World Cup, even no matter how hard you try, because I, I tried a lot. But I got the free, like, Mexican, or not Mexican, gosh, Zach, geez, uh, uh, Spanish uh, daily newspaper, Oi, I believe is what it's called, every day, and it always had, like, crazy pictures and stuff, and so I cut out pictures and made this massive, like, mural of of newspaper cutouts of the world cup. Uh, and there was like a poster every day, like in the lead up and stuff, like in the, in the centerfold. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think, I, I don't think I'm doing that. Man. I missed, I missed the uh, first match. I mean, other, uh, world cup news. It's coming to the States. That's right. 2026, 2026. I will be wow. 43 years old. <laughs> 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 Almost as old as Rafa Marquez. Almost as old as Rafa Marquez. <laughs> uh, Denver's uh, on the on the list on the short list of cities that might host uh, matches, so that's fun. Yeah. I believe Los Angeles is as well in the the stadium that's being built down uh, down in Inglewood. But should play the Coliseum. That's my hope. That's I agree. Or the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl has played home to yeah. many more historic soccer matches than the Coliseum for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. And the 99 the Women's was... World Cup final was at the Rose Bowl. Mm. The Rose Bowl was home to... Uh, was it home to the fi- the 94 World Cup final? They might have been. It was prominently in, a part of them. 94 World Cup final stadium. Stadia. Oh, Brazil won that year, huh? Mm-hmm. PKs over yeah, Italy. Rose Bowl. Yep, Rose, Rose Bowl. Bowl. Steel trap. I was eleven. I was ten years old. I was not yet eleven. I didn't get to go see any of those matches. Did you go? There were matches. In, there was a match in Chicago. They, were, they played games in Chicago. No, oh, but I remember it. The most impressive. Well, there are so many impressive things about the 1994 World Cup here in the United States. My yeah. most nerdy impressive. Well, let's start first. First, the most impressive things were the jerseys, Matt, and <laughs> and God bless America. Um, 
Of course, the 94 team had these denim Adidas jerseys that were incredible. They weren't actually made of denim, but they were printed, screen printed with a denim. They look like denim, right? Uh, Unfortunately, Adidas holds all that IP, all that intellectual property. So until the national team is sponsored by Adidas again, we can't see denim. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Because you got got to have like a throwback to the, the denim jerseys, right, for World Cup 2026. Yeah. It's the same problem that our beloved Chicago Fire that I saw play last night to a, a thrilling draw, like every every time I watch them play. Unlike <laughs> last time they came to draw. Denver, there were goals involved. It was a zero zero draw last time. They have the most amazing jerseys that are based on the Chicago flag that are light blue with the four uh, six pointed stars across red six pointed stars across the chest. But it was produced by Puma, uh, but now Adidas. Mm makes all MLS jerseys as a part of their deal. And so we can't have that jersey back until Puma somehow makes fire jerseys. But my nerdy, most important, most interesting fact of 1994 World Cup was they played matches inside of the Pontiac Silver Dome. And FIFA does not allow and did not allow uh, matches to be played on artificial turf. The Pontiac Silverdome had a permanent roof, and yet they found a way to make a live grass field exist for a couple of weeks to play international football matches on inside of the Pontiac Silverdome. Wow. Chris is probably excited about that. It was it was the Michigan State uh, University was really involved in that because of the agriculture kind of part of it. Oh, Turf grass. Yeah, she was a she was a soccer player too. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was into that. These days, lots of grass grows inside of the Pontiac Silverdome because it's dilapidated and the roof has collapsed. Didn't they implode it? What did they do? Have they? I think it's still just hanging out out there. You know what's crazy? Uh, so we're going to Houston shortly. Mm-hmm. And the uh, well, you just got back from standing. Houston, I believe. Yeah, I just got back. We just got back from Houston, uh, where the Astrodome still there. Astrodome still there. Home of- but it just sits empty. They don't know what to do with it. And then I think they like got it declared like a like a historic monument or something. Mm-hmm. So now they can't like get rid of it, but they don't have anything to do with it. It's not really safe to be inside of, but it just sits there. And it's like right next to NRG Stadium too. Like it's like home to a lot of impressive uh, athletic events. Matt, I believe they had title fights there. I think there's that like. Oh, what was it like? You see, like some crazy basketball game, like the first nationally televised college basketball game happened in the Astrodome that had like some racial undertones. Uh, that I want to say was like Houston, UCLA, Houston, something like that. Uh, that happened there. But most importantly, of course, the Bad News Bears uh, played in the Astrodome. That's that's the most important part. <laughs> this has been another episode of Stadiums Around the World. We did, uh, we're putting together, when we were putting together a couple of weeks ago, uh, the things that we want to do while we're sightseeing in Houston. Yeah. Uh, I did make sure to put on the list that some of us are interested in uh, stadium porn, by which we mean <laughs> not porn that takes place within a stadium. I just want to be clear about that. Uh, it's just looking at stadiums from the outside and not actually going in them. So we want to make sure to see the Houston Rockets to see Toyota, Toyota Center, mm-hmm. which is downtown. Yeah, the future home of LeBron James. <laughs> I can't believe we now know that LeBron James is going to Houston. That's crazy. Uh, they the, the the Dynamo uh, Houston's MLS uh, side have a new stadium in downtown Houston as well. Uh, so maybe maybe you should have checked that out in the past. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's true. That would probably make more sense. Or Enron Compass Stadium. That's right. Good stuff. So, uh, 
Do we have anything else to talk about? Well, it's July 1st, Matt. Dog days of summer. Dog days of summer. <laughs> Stop barking. I can hear your dog barking there. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I'm in the middle of my summer tour. I got a summer preaching tour. I'm, I'm booked up through clear through to September. So I've got a second date of a two week stop at Grace Lutheran in Boulder uh, before I head back out to Erie for all of July. Go up to Steamboat one weekend for a wedding. Nice. July 1st is that post Houston coma time. Well, we'll still be in Houston. We're worshiping at the uh, Energy Stadium on July 1st. Oh, OK. Who's the preacher? I don't know. Last year, I think it was Bishop. Last time, it was Bishop Eaton. Uh, so that makes sense. That's probably what it'll be. I didn't get an invite uh, to preach. <laughs> you did not. They probably heard my schedule was pretty busy, so. I did, but I, I turned it down. <laughs> yeah. I would have done it, but I didn't want to do the children's sermon for the a bit too much work. <laughs> children's sermon. We want to invite all the kids to come up to the front. <laughs> oh man. I don't think I have much. We're, we're trying to make it. We're doing summery things, trying to embrace the summer this year. We, uh, Like I said, we went out and saw uh, the fire, play the Crapids, the MLS side. I went hiking this morning with students. I got a student who's in town for a couple of days. This is really cool, Matt. We connected with Seeds of Peace uh, last May uh, when we were in Israel or Palestine. Uh, Seeds of Peace is an organization that Ibu Patel in particular is connected with and uh, started by hosting a summer camp uh, for kids from uh, for Israeli and Palestinian youth together in the United States. Uh, and so one of my students uh, learned about it while we got to visit with them while we were in, in Jerusalem. And is actually serving as a counselor this summer at that camp. And so he was in town today before, uh, before he flies out to Maine is where the, the camp is. So we could have done coffee, but he wanted to go hiking. So we, we hiked this morning. <laughs> nice. Well done. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see what his experience is like. They they work with, it started with Israel, Palestine, and they still do that. But then also they work with uh, other kind of conflict zones, uh, especially when religious identity is tied up in it. Like, I believe there's like a a Serb kind of focus as well. Like, uh, I forget how that those dynamics work, but Bosnia and Serb, like Muslim Christian sorts of things. Okay. Should be super intense. It's always good. Intense is good. Remember, readers, submit your questions, comments, feedback. We got to have something to talk about this summer. <laughs> Unless you want to hear more about World Cup jerseys. Um, yeah, and, uh, and World Cup stadiums. I just realized Chicago, not a candidate for a host city. No. What's up with that? What's up with that? Rom. Rom personally decided they did not Shut want to up. agree to the FIFA stuff. I mean, and I don't. Who cares? I'm disappointed. Right. <laughs> we don't live there anyway. <laughs> yeah, we don't live there anyway. I mean, it's a ways away. Maybe we'll live there. Maybe. <laughs> Ten years from now. Eight years from now. <laughs> I remember, Matt, when when Chicago was bidding for the 2016 Summer Olympics yeah. and thinking that was so incredibly far away in the future and wasn't a real thing at all. <laughs> and that was two years ago. Two years ago. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Kansas City. Why would they go? To, why are they going to Kansas City? Just so they can be in the heartland somewhere. I guess. It's I dumb. mean, Cincinnati. What? Cincinnati just awarded the MLS side. This is a soccer podcast today. It's dumb. Not all of those sites will host, but they they had a big list and then they cut it to this. The U.S. Yeah. There'll be. Uh, it's going to be a crazy World Cup because they'll expand the field to forty-eight from 32 yeah. then and so 60 there'll be 80 matches in total 60 in the united states 10 in canada 10 in mexico gotcha i mean i think definitely seattle they should go to seattle they should go to la atlanta i guess houston energy stadium 
Well, my sadness over Chicago uh, not being a host city is a good uh, it's a good transition, I think. Mm. Texas. Yeah. Well, Texas. sadness. Can we have sadness. sadness? Can I have sadness for the United States not making the World Cup? Is that okay? <laughs> that's also okay. Yeah, because that's this is the least John excited Green I've been for the World about Cup. It. I agree with John. Uh, did you read the uh, the Ringers history of of why they didn't make the World Cup? I've not yet. I'm not emotionally I'm prepared like, yet to read that. It's going to be bad. I'm like halfway through it. <laughs> I've been listening to. This is the terror. This is this is literally, I think, our worst podcast ever. Um, <laughs> just fast forward, listeners. Just fast yeah, forward, like twenty minutes into it. We've been doing a timestamp, so you know exactly where to go to find stuff you want to hear, um, or avoiding things you don't want to hear. Uh, Roger Bennett of Men and Blazers did a six-part podcast on the 1998 U.S. World Cup team. That was an oh. incredible disaster. Finished last place in the 98 World Cup, including losing to soccer power Iran, uh, even though they had a pretty talented roster. Yeah. Well, and following up on 94, we got some like excitement. Yeah. They you know, thought I think it'd be good to build some momentum. Nope. All right. So it's time for the text. Time for the text. We've got nothing else to do. Zach, we have been making our way through the David Bowie stories. Haven't we? <laughs> of first and now second Samuel first and second Samuel it's interesting because one Samuel book, is not enough that's how, the, that's how the, the trailer would go one Samuel's just not enough to hold this story you would think that the book of the Bible would be called David you would definitely would think right that. like yeah. he's a pretty looming figure in the Old Testament yeah. and even into the New Testament like he's a pretty big figure in the scriptures but they name it after Samuel the prophet who by the time the second book of Samuel starts off, he's dead. Like Samuel's dead. Did Samuel died? Yeah. There's a lot of death going around right here, but Samuel. Yeah, like we've fast forwarded a lot. So let me get you caught up here. Uh so Sam- I'm the first Samuel is not a short book of the Bible, Matt. No. And we just went all the way through it in like four weeks. Yeah, and we even skipped like some really good stuff at the end. So mm-hmm. uh what we've missed. So like uh I think David say, slays Goliath and then goes to play music for Saul and he starts to piss off Saul. Saul starts to get jealous. Saul starts to go mad. So now they've got a whole feud. David has to flee. And then there's like some skirmishes that happen. Uh and so we missed where uh Saul goes into a cave uh to relieve himself. I believe he's he's doing a number 2. And while he's doing this in this dark cave, David sneaks up on him. I think cuts off the hem of his garment or something like that. And then is like, hey, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't while you were taking a dump. And Saul's like, oh, my gosh. So that happens. And then Slight it happens discurses, again. Matt. Uh, I just yeah. want to say, if for our listeners, when you go backpacking, I have a number of good jokes around poop and a poop shovel, like you poop trowel, right? When you're backpacking, you got to go dig a hole to poop in. Um so, uh, a couple good questions to have. Uh, jokes. Come back after you've done this to the group camping with the shovel and be like, I think it went okay. I'm just not sure what you do after you poop on this. Um, <laughs> so, you make it, you make people think that you, you pooped onto the shovel. <laughs> That's how that works. It's, this has been another episode of Camping Tips from Zach, sponsored by Camping World. Camping World. Anyway, Saul's camping. Uh, he's camping again. There's another camping story. Saul's sleeping. Sleeping out by the fire. He's got his spear and, like, I don't know, his shield or something next to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, David Made sneaks up on him again. And his servant's like, hey, let's kill him. And David's like, no, no, no. I'm an honorable guy. I can't do that. Let's just steal his spear and his shield. And so he does that. And then they go up to, like, a 
they go far away and they call out to Saul, hey, where's your sword? <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, we totally snuck up on you. See, we could have done that and we didn't. So David plays some like little sneaky tricks mm. uh, on Saul. Just tormenting him. <laughs> I know, he's just tormenting him. It's crazy. And then what happens? Samuel dies. Uh, and then a fantastic thing happens after Samuel dies. One of my favorite stories in scriptures. Not a lexary text, unfortunately. Uh, but Saul goes to consult a medium. And he oh, calls Samuel's ghost up that's from the right. grave. Yeah. We actually made a video story we about did. this text. <laughs> it's like a Halloween story. <laughs> and it's a pretty great story. Because he like calls up Sam- Samuel's ghost. And Samuel's ghost is like, why have you called me? It's a great like Halloween. It's just a oh, wonderful story. You know? And Saul is mm-hmm. like screwed. It's this like, oh, it's great. And then at the end of the story, like the medium is like, yeah, that was a really bad idea. Can I make you some food? <laughs> And he feeds, and the medium, she feeds Saul and his army. So it's kind of Eucharistic, too. Yeah. I mean, you could do some great stuff with that little story. So we skipped over all that. Sorry, lectionary. Uh, we skipped it over all of it. And then um, at the end of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul and Jonathan die. Uh, and Jonathan is just killed as part of the battle. But Saul um, gets gravely wounded, and he sees his enemies closing in, and he says to his servant, hey, just kill me. The servant's like, um, no. So Saul falls on his own sword. Saul uh, is just servant, like David Spade in that TV show. Just shoot me. Just shoot me. Just shoot me. Servant refuses. So so Saul falls on his own sword. And then the servant's like, all right, I'll do that too. Servant also falls on his own sword. <laughs> and Philistines come, cut off David, or cut off uh, Saul's head. And then, I don't know, some more people go and recover their bodies and that's it. That's the end of First Samuel. So now, Second Samuel kicks off. That's where we find ourselves today. We skipped a lot of stuff. Also, we there's a, a second version, right? We skip. There are two different accounts of, of Saul's death. There's the account you read at the end of First Samuel, but at Second Samuel, they retell it, and it's a little different. Yeah, there's like this Amalekite, but is the Amalekite like telling a story, or is this like another version of what happened that ends up in the scripture? Is he like trying to self-aggrandize, or what? Yeah, it's it's a little weird. It's not his servant; it's an Amalekite instead of. Yeah. I don't really know. I should have done the research. I don't know what an Amalekite is. Not a Philistine, I guess, is the most important thing. Um, yeah, and he thinks he's going to impress David with this story, like, "Hey, I killed your rival." <laughs> David's like. What? And he kills him. It's uh, interesting. These are pretty uh, not rated G. No. This is not <laughs> it's a very G. Game of Thronesy. Indeed. So this is all happening. But actually, that little story that we just retold, thank you for bringing that up, because it is a nice contrast with what happens in the text that we are actually reading today. We did all that as, like, recap. But the Amalekite thinks that David's going to be impressed because he killed Saul, and David's going to be like, sweet, Saul is dead, now I'm going to be king. But in fact, no. What in the words of Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. <laughs> that don't impress me much. much. That's what David said. See, David says that don't impress me much. Uh, and so David, David has this lamentation instead. We get this uh, expression of grief. This poem, this song is our reading today. Who knew about this David? I'm sure lots of people did is the answer. Uh, people perhaps really read the David story more in depth than I have. Uh, who knew this David-Jonathan relationship was so so intense? Because, I, I mean, I know it's a song for, for Saul, I guess, uh, yeah. typically. But, but if you really read it, it's, it seems much more like it's about Jonathan than about Saul. Yeah, it's disguised as a song about Saul. Uh, but really... 
uh, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Another thing that gets snuck in in the recap that we don't see uh, is that Jonathan abdicates his claim to the throne in uh, for David uh, back in First Samuel eighteen verse four. Mm. So it's a mutual, like, really interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that, uh, <laughs> again, like you said, who knew? Uh, my who knew moment was reading this and seeing the line, how the mighty have fallen. That's where that phrase comes from. It comes from this song in the Bible, oh. <laughs> which is nuts. I've just, yeah. like, we've all heard that idiom everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. But this is where it comes from. It's the refrain of this song of David lamenting the death of Saul and Jonathan. Gosh. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that yeah. until today. Right. <laughs> hey, guys, I do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to know, though, right? Like, you can't. That's, that's always the comeback to, like, things they didn't teach you in seminary. Well, like, do you want to go to seminary for the rest of your life? Because that's. I know. I know. It's nuts. So, what I think. Here's what uh, what Brueggemann argues is important about this passage, um, that it is an expression of grief uh, and that it's an extended and intentional and careful and artistically, creatively worded expression of grief and lament. And he says that, um, I mean, that's important that David takes the time to do that in order for there to be newness. Brueggemann argues there has to be a moment of grieving what has been lost um, David didn't have to do this. He could have kept moving on. It could have been like, sweet, all of my strategic machinations have worked out and now I can be king. But instead he pauses for this moment of grief. And that's a really critical thing to do. If we translate that to our own day, um, is that is that a common thing that we do? I mean, look at um, American culture, right? Are we able to name those things that we grieve and lament? Or do we always want to move on to the things that are uplifting? Do we always want to move on to the, our successes, or do we want to take some time to lament um, and name those hard truths? Uh, and how important is it to name those things uh, and to put them out there and actually have a space for grief before we move on to good news, to have a space for grief? Mm-hmm. Uh, a connection that I might make that I'm interested in, in making is that uh, this song is actually called The Bow. Uh, there in verse 18, the, 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 the Hebrew actually says, it doesn't call it the song, uh, but it says that David ordered that the bow be taught to the people of Judah. Um, and that this section closes with how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. Um, to go all the way back to the Noah story and the flood uh, and Yahweh putting uh, putting their bow in the sky, setting down their bow. Um, and we've talked a little bit about how this isn't a G-rated story. The messenger who comes and tells um, David that I saw his dad gets murdered last uh, week before last. You had uh, Agag, our good friend King Agag, who's still cut up into little pieces. Um, Perhaps this is where the Song of the Bow always ends. Um, Hmm. The Song of the Bow is not a song of, of victory. Yeah. And yet David orders that it be taught to the people of Judah. Mm-hmm. This is a song that people have to learn. Mm. So as you're preparing for summer camp this year and you want to take some <laughs> camp songs to the kids at BBS, consider the song of the bow. The bow. Uh, I believe there are emotions that go with it. There are. Swifter than eagles, stronger than lions, had your head cut off by an amicalite. <laughs> 
tune in Patreon subscribers. Uh, Zach and I will have a music video of us doing the motions to the song of the song Pope. Of the Pope. We should, Matt. We should find some some somebody should give us money to create alternative vacation Bible school curriculum that has like witch stories, <laughs> seven heads. Yes, yes. We're getting some severed heads coming up, by the way. Oh, Couple weeks. Stay tuned, listeners. Don't spoilers. It's uh, it's my favorite because there's a severed head story uh, signed for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, I mean that's basically what I got on Second Samuel. Um, it's funny, we've gotten some comfort food this summer, and now mm-hmm. here we get a song of sadness uh, for the 4th of July weekend. So, enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a, I don't know if there's a ton here. We've gotten a lot of good narratives lately. I mean, that's one of the, been one of the benefits of doing the David Story story narrative. Uh, you get good stories. Uh, not a whole lot in the way of stories here, unless you're going to unpack all of the things that we've skipped and give context to stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely think less story and more, if you want to preach on this, you have to think about what the role of grief is and how grief might lead to good news. How does grief open up the possibility of good news? Maybe mm-hmm. think about that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got. I like it, man. So in Mark over in the gospel, Matt, uh, Jesus is getting into boats again. Uh, was it, Last week, week before last, uh, Jesus was in a boat and didn't uh, well stormy. Gets into another boat. Uh, goes another the, boat. He's in another a, crossing to the other side. Oh my gosh! It seems like Jesus only crosses over to the other side, back and forth, just always crossing borders, as if that's a holy, sacred thing to do. Who would have known it? He crosses back over by the sea. Uh, when he gets to the other side, the leader of a synagogue, Jairus, came, or Jairus, I guess, depending on how you pronounce your J's. Uh, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And on his way to Jairus's house uh, to cure this, his little daughter, uh, his 12-year-old daughter, a woman comes and touches him who's been bleeding for 12 years, hemorrhages. Um, and it, here's my favorite part, right? She touches him. Um, immediately the hemorrhaging stops and she felt in her body that she was healed of disease but also immediately double immediately wait, well done Mark way to live like you've got your corner Mark and you're you're living your best life on that corner because you start verse 29 immediately her hemorrhage stopped and then verse 30 the next sentence immediately aware that power had gone forth from him uh, hitting the immediately is hard but uh, I just think that's interesting that Jesus was aware that power had gone forth from him. Uh, not He doesn't turn around because someone touched him, but because this thing happened. Oh, I just am intrigued by that. I don't know if he can turn that into good news and preach on it, but I liked it. He turns around and he says, who touched me? Uh, it's the woman, and she says, um, you know, her deal. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Uh, but... This detour, this distraction. Jesus also spent a little bit of time. Um, the uh, the thirty two World Cup it was about to get started, and Jesus spent a little time talking with some of the leaders of the synagogue about the jerseys that Israel was going to wear that year in the World Cup uh, and some other World Cup stuff. And so he ended up wasting a lot of time. Uh, and while he was having those conversations, it turned out the daughter of Jairus had died. And so someone comes and says, "Hey, Jairus," and he's like, "Hold on one second. I need to know whether Mimo Ochoa is starting for Mexico this year at the World Cup. <laughs> he was like, no, this is really, I need to know this. Rafa Marquez, um, his daughter dies. Um, why bother the teacher anymore? Uh, but Jesus said to them, heard what they said. 
He says, do not fear, only believe. Uh, and then he, he, he narrowed down the people who came with him, only Peter, James, and John, uh, the brother of James, the old sons of thunder. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, uh, he entered, people were weeping. He said, why are you crying? What's the problem here? A child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, which is interesting. Uh, then he put them all outside, took the father's child and mother and those with him and went into where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said, little girl, get up. And immediately, immediately, the girl got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years of age. And at this, they were overcome with amazement. And finally, Matt, a fun little detail at the end. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this messianic secret and told them to give her something to eat. What? Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that this story begins in the waters and ends at the table? At the table? It's incredible. How would... Wow. What? What? Who saw that coming? Who saw that coming? Jonathan did. Uh, some fun facts to lift up are the twelves. You got two twelves here. This woman has been bleeding for twelve years. The daughter is twelve years old. Uh, perhaps right uh, has something to do with Jesus doing something more than just healing twelve year olds uh, and people with twelve year old uh, uh, ailments. You know. Yeah, and that's yeah. Might have what. Keep going. It might might be a geopolitical thing. Might have something to do with the people of Israel, twelve tribes. What? I mean, I think it's interesting that this is the same like it's the same period of time, right? Like, like this one's been got sick basically when this girl was born. (laughs) So there's right like it's exact same like it's like twenty. 2000 to 2012 like this is like the it's the exact same period of time that these things have been happening so there's this woman there's this outcast woman she's been sick she's poor she's a woman um and she is a person uh on the outside on the underside and she's been sick for 12 years here's a girl of privilege right because he's one of the leaders of the synagogue uh and yet she also sick dying um really interesting and then why the number 12 tell us more about that geopolitical 12 tribes of israel Mm, he's gonna bring it together he's gonna be the david i mean this is where we tie it together right that he's gonna be the new david to tie together the 12 uh kingdoms uh, 12 tribes into one cohesive yeah both to heal them and to raise them from death yeah (laughs) wow couple more nuggets, Matt. Um, yeah. uh, sleeps here. A fun fact, uh, she's only sleeping. Uh, sleeps, the verb used for sleep here is the same word used to describe the sleep uh, that Peter does in the garden uh, when Peter keeps falling asleep. Um, so some interesting resonance there. There's some interesting contrast, too, between, like, the crowd. There's, like, a there's a, there's a crowd, a large crowd pressing in on him, crowd, great crowd gathered around him. And yet there's also this contrast with, like, he allows no one to follow him except these three people. Like, there's this contrast between the crowd that's clearly seeing things and experiencing things, like, is, like, crucial to the story and what's happening. And yet there's also, like, a different role for for these, I don't know, insider disciples, this, like, small circle of disciples. That's a really, I think that's a really interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, if we remember back, Matt, um, well, 
what I think this text is about, what I'm hearing in this text is uh, restoration is a thing that really shines through. Uh, as you said, the, the, the hemorrhaging woman is an outsider, um, most likely a widow because she'd spent all of her money. Women did not spend money. Um, so uh, we've talked about how widows are just the lowest of the low. Um, she's an outsider. She breaks a pretty hard and fast social rule. Women did not touch men in public, and she touches him, right, uh, in very publicly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then at the right. end, she call, he, Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. She moves from the most extreme outside of society uh, into this new family system, this kinship group that Jesus has blown up. Just we're, in, we're at the end of chapter five, the beginning of chapter four, Jesus reestablishes what the family is and she's in it um, restored. She is now a part of the, of the family. Um, I think the same thing can be said of what's happening with the leader of the synagogue's house. We think about Jesus being in opposition, and he's been in opposition to the Pharisees and the scribes, religious leaders. Um, but here's a religious insider who has come to Jesus, bowed down, and is acknowledging and is aware of what seems to be kind of aware of what Jesus is doing. And so that the new life Jesus is coming doesn't completely disregard what was before, but that the synagogue might be restored, that the old 12 tribes, that, that the old vision of David might, there might be new life in these old bones. Yeah, it's relevant that they're both daughters, isn't it? That they're both women mm -hmm. in the text, particularly in this in this time period, right, where there's a pretty strict hierarchical structure. The patriarchy still a thing, unlike today when the patriarchy. Thankfully, it's a smashed. thing of the past. Relevant. It's relevant, dear readers. Relevant. Gender is relevant in this text. Another fun way to go with it, I think, is to go with the. Again, Matt, I cannot help my Southern roots. And so when we've got believe and believe as a, a thing, an exhortation that Jesus tells us to do, I get very itchy and uh, fearful. But here, back to back, we have two examples just with a great amount of attention about how active that belief is and what it means. On one, you have the woman who's hemorrhaging who does this work herself. Jesus doesn't even actively do it. He just gets touched. Uh and the woman is made, uh, is healed, restored, becomes Jesus's daughter. Uh, and the other one, the little girl is just sleeping. Uh, she does nothing to prompt being 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 arisen. Actually, yeah. uh, another fun connection, right? The uh, uh, the arise at the end is the same verb as Jesus when Jesus is risen. So sleeping like Peter in the garden, rising like Jesus, the empty tomb. Yeah, and then amazement. They're overcome with amazement. Mm -hmm. The only other place that that phrasing in Greek shows up is at the resurrection. Yeah. The men at the tomb are amazed. And they're amazed and they flee. So there's some fear tied up in their amazement, and there may be some here too, right? And that, the, that, that last note of restoration for the girl is that she goes to the table, and that's where yeah. we're made whole with the community. Give her something to eat. That's, that will be restored when we eat together. For a text that happens in the middle of the summer, what probably one of your lower attendance Sundays on mm -hmm. July first. There's a lot going on. This is a good one. There's a lot yeah. of a lot, a lot of stuff in this. Yeah, a lot of ways in. This is a this is one of those weeks when uh, you're gonna make choices. <laughs> uh, fun stuff you could play with as well, right? Like, uh, what does it mean to sleep? Right? What does it mean that she's sleeping? What does it look like when we sleep? Um, how can we be awoken or how are we uh, awoken or arisen out of that? You sheeple, you could just call people sheeple. Wake up. 
uh, Jesus up. is doing this thing. Stay woke. That's right. We're back to woke. Advent in July, everybody. <laughs> Advent in July. Good stuff. Right? I like this. It's also the last thing that I've got, right? Um, it's a building and power dynamics to um, a lot of this. I don't think this is very preachable. I'm not going to preach on this. Uh, is that Jesus is building his reputation, that the healing of the hemorrhaging woman happens around a large crowd uh, because... Because a, a way you could come at the healing text, a way to always come at healing text with Jesus is why did Jesus heal these people and Jesus didn't heal me or heal mm-hmm. uh, my loved one, right? Um, why didn't Jesus just go heal everybody? Like that <laughs> seems like that would have been a pretty cool mission to be on and like would have been really helpful to people. But that Jesus is doing these miracles in order to build his reputation, to build this larger narrative that's happening. So go back to Mark uh, 4, 35, 41, where we're at a couple weeks ago, Jesus calms the seas. Uh, the first part of Mark, Mark 1 to 20, is Jesus exercising the demon out of the man, uh, the, and, and he sends them into the pigs, the legion, the, demon, the demons whose name are legion, into the pigs. Um, so you've got Jesus with power, exhibiting power over the forces of nature, uh, over the demons. And now, I mean, this crazy thing, right? Like, and perhaps that's a part of why half of this story, Jairus' daughter is a secret, but the hemorrhaging woman is not a secret because Jesus is exhibiting power over death itself, which is pretty, pretty nuts. Uh, here's my good news, Matt. I got a good, good news statement this week. Uh, my good news, uh, based on uh, both of these stories, is that Jesus does not cut his losses. Jesus makes us whole. Jesus does not cut his losses, but makes us whole. I like it. Good we stuff. have to cut our good. losses sometimes. Jonathan dies. Sam, Saul dies. Jesus does not. That'll preach. Hmm. That'll preach. What are you listening to as you uh, preach that good news? Oh, Matt. I didn't know that preaching or, or Summer of David Bowie was going to be so easy. Um, <laughs> he has such a robust library. Uh, I know. Right? There is so much stuff. You can almost always find something that fits really well. Um, so uh, I didn't have to search far to find this. Uh, I'm going to start with David Bowie's Black Star off of the Black Star album 2016, last album we did. Um, which is an album that, that in which it seems like Bowie's facing his own mortality. Uh, he died, what, two or three days after it was released uh, yeah. there in January of 2016. Um, it's a little, I mean, it's, if you're going to, I think Black Star is a really good song and it is an incredibly Bowie song. Because um, you get this deep stuff where it really works with the text about like facing your own mortality, but it's also about like a kind of like God. <laughs> Goblin King kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> on the day of execution, on the day of execution, only women kneel and smile. Ah, 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 ah. At the center of it all, at the center of it all, your eyes, your eyes. Bowie, or uh, David, I'm getting the, my David's confused. Uh, King David, his eyes, his eyes. Uh, they're beautiful, you remember. Something happened on the day he died. Spirit rose a meter and stepped aside. Somebody else took his place and bravely cried, I'm a black star, I'm a black star. Uh, which fits, I think, with uh, Saul dying, Jonathan dying, and David saying, I'm a black star, I'm a black star. And then, Matt, I appreciate you letting me go first because I get to pick the, the lowest hanging fruit. <laughs> because this, I, I know you have to have had picked this song. It's uh, Rock and Roll Suicide uh, from the, the, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars in 1972. 
Rock and roll suicide. You're too old to lose it. You're too young to choose it. And the clock waits so patiently on your song. You walk past a cafe, but you don't eat when you've lived too long. Oh, no, no, no. You're a rock and roll suicide. Saul's committing suicide. David Bowie's committing suicide because he's given everything he has, everything he is to the music. Just a rock and roll suicide. Did I steal that from you? No. All right. No, I didn't. Those are good. Good Wow. Those are good. No, I went with um, a little more oblique. Like, uh, so I thought it's an odd choice because it's it's not a choice. But this, uh, but space oddity, mm. where it's sort of a send off to yeah. this astronaut going off into space, and I just thought of it in terms of like David giving this send off to Saul and Jonathan as they go off into the great beyond. It's just kind of a mood piece. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. Do you know, Matt? I, I've got my biography is going to help here. Uh, space oddity was released in 1969 by Bowie, uh, July 11th of 1969. Something else happened that summer, Matt. Uh, we put a man on the moon, is what happened. <laughs> if you believe. If you believe. Uh, the single was intentionally released. They held it for the summer to release it with like what they thought was going to be a lot of space buzz. Um, it flopped. Uh, original. I didn't really fl- like it was his most successful single to date, but it didn't yeah. become what we know it to be now, in part because it was such a song of lament. Yeah, <laughs> everybody was like and actually in the U.S. they reworked the album. <laughs> they reworked the single and cut out a bunch of stuff that were about like the guy dying because uh, they were like, I don't think we can like really push this song about like sending people to space yeah. to die. Uh, and so it went really bad in the U.S. It, it charted in, in, in the U.K. Um, but That's great. Yeah, that's an, it's a song of lament, for sure. Dude, boy's so cool. <laughs> and well, I went with that, and I went with, um, also from that that, uh, that final album, uh, Lazarus, mm. just kind of a mood piece. Uh, kind of a mood piece, kind of that, uh, yeah, looking at the face of death, uh, but also looking ahead of that gospel text a little mm-hmm. bit, thinking about that word, Lazarus, right? I like it. Oh, he's got so many good songs. And then, uh, yeah, throwing on some more songs. Uh, <laughs> since we since we talked about the daughters, I really want to throw on Pearl Jam's "Don't Call Me oh, Daughter." Oh <laughs> man, I don't know if that fits but, the text, uh, but I know, I know, right? But also, it's uh, such a good you song. Know, I I feel like it's also the summer of REM. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so you know, what's what's REM's uh, most famous lament song? Everybody hurts. Oh, you went a different way, different way than I expected, right? Because I, I too, Matt, uh, had to put an REM song on uh, because it felt so obvious to me. I don't sleep, I dream of Monster. (laughs) I really like that song. That is the ghost of Samuel (laughs) Collin. I got one more, Matt. I can keep going. Yeah. Uh, An artist... That I have just like, uh, Matt, we got to find a way to get to a show, okay? Uh, I don't think they're on the summer festival uh, scene these days. Um, But I have just fallen in, man, I really like Fiona Apple. Um, (laughs) Mostly because of her work uh, with with that McSweeney's uh, uh, album, uh, Chickens in Love. Uh, she has a great, maybe one of her best songs ever. Uh, it's really good on there. It is uh, 
But also, she's got a 1997 song, or six, 96, seven, uh, called Sleep to Dream. Uh, Ooh. Which is what the, the dear daughter of, of Jairus is doing. Jairus. Jairus. It, uh, it's, it's got some interesting history in the music video. Uh, uh, she won Best New Artist in a Video at the 1997 MTV Video Music Awards. Um, and she said some kind of crazy things. She said, I did not prepare a speech, and I'm sorry, but I'm glad that I did it, didn't, because I'm going to do this like everybody else does it, because everybody that I should be thanking, I'm really sorry, but I have to use this time. See, Maya Angelou said that we, we as human beings at our best, can only create opportunities, and I'm going to use this opportunity the way I want to use it. So what I want to say is everybody out there that's watching, everybody that's watching this world, this world is bullshit, and you should model your life Wait a second. You should model your life about what you think we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself and go with yourself. Feel the apple, everybody. This Feel world is apple. bullshit. <laughs> I agree, Fiona. This world is bullshit. <laughs> oh, the era of the 90s. The, the also, era Matt, I have another MTV one. Speeches. Can I put another yeah. one on there? I just, sure. Do you have more? Do you have more? Are you done? Just keep going. I'm done. Uh, I'm only sleeping by the Beatles. Ooh. It's pretty perfect for this. Sweet, good playlist. We got a good one. We've had some good play we're man. I'm loving the summer of Bowie. <laughs> King David Bowie. I'm gonna get a face That's tattoo what, probably. You know what? I think they just you know, I think they just misspelled this. It's actually the song of the Bowie. Oh man, how did we miss this? <laughs> how did we miss the this? The song of the Bowie. Who saw it coming? Uh. Can we title the podcast? Yes, <laughs> we just. That's the now. I don't have to listen to the podcast again to come up with a title because I'll forget. <laughs> oh man, the song of the Bowie. Good stuff. It's been. Uh, it's been real. It's been real vinyl.